Podcast City Network. to the Rip Griffin Show. Make sure to subscribe to the show on all the major podcast platforms. Here's your host, Rip Griffin. Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rip Griffin Show. We had a little technical difficulty there getting started, but we were able to work it out, and here we are coming to you live on all the social media platforms, including YouTube as well. Tonight, I am joined by Mac and Ben, who have have are returning back to the show but for the first time in the show history we have alex coming on the show who is a big time seattle Mariners fan which we got on top for tonight guys how are you doing tonight doing well doing well thanks for having me back yeah you know it's yeah fall semester just started uh for me here so you know it's uh you know it's uh, gonna be a challenge but you know i'm looking forward to it but yeah thanks thanks again to for having me on rip Absolutely. Alex, this is the first time you've actually been on the show. So tell me, what's it like as far as you are a writer for uh, for overtime? How is that? How you've been enjoying that? And this is actually the first time I've actually get to, to meet you here on uh, any type of platform. So it's good to finally meet you, put a name to the face and everything. So uh, it's been great. Likewise, it's a pleasure to finally get to talk with you face to face, Rip. Um, but no, working for Overtime Heroics, it is a really fun time getting to have a lot of creative control of what you want to write. If you have an idea, they will let you write it. And it's a good time just to, if you, especially if you really want to kind of explore out. Like I wrote, one of my first articles I ever wrote was a almost a parody piece about Jared <laughs> Kelnick. And now we've evolved to doing a lot more stuff to where. Um, we can at least like we don't have to just go to the full norm of what you expect in sports journalism. So we kind of try and take that to our advantage. But I'm glad I get to finally be on here. And yes, I may be a diehard Mariner fan, but I could talk. I could talk the best of them. <laughs> well, it's great to have you on. You know, and Mac and Ben also great to have you guys on as well. So to kind of kick off tonight's episode, we're going to jump into a little poll question, something that I put up on the the, the Twitter page at Rip Griffin Show. So we just had Miguel Cabrera hit his 500th career home run. And it got me thinking, of course, there's been a lot of other talk as well as who's going to be the next to surpass 500. You've got Nelson Cruz. Obviously, Mike Trout is is a name. Bryce Harper. Any other guys you can probably think of, maybe some of the younger guys that haven't really quite uh, eclipsed uh, or getting close to, I should say, the 100 career home run run. you know, Mark, there we go. Got to spit that out there. But uh, on the poll question, so Nelson Cruz, Mike Trout were the three that were on the poll. 
And Nelson Cruz ran away with it with over 50% of the votes. He sits at 433 career home runs right now. Mike Trout came in second at 44.4%. He's at 310 career home runs. And then Bryce Harper kind of anchored everything out at 6%, which is not what I thought that would be at 258 career home runs. So let me ask you guys, we'll kind of just do round robin. We'll start with Alex and then we'll kind of just you know, go around. But uh, out of those three, who do you think will be the next to get 500 career home runs? Well, I mean, I think it's really no surprise. I'm going to go with the poll on this one. Nelson Cruz is a guy that he does one thing and he does it extremely well. And that is hit long bombs that go out of any stadium that he plays at right now. He's already sitting at, we said the total was at 443. We only think that number is going to go up. And even though he is getting into that really late age range, there doesn't seem to be any stopping him. Nelson Cruz is that power hitter that does that that does this job, and that is all that he needs to do. He, he technically could play the outfield, but not much real reason to. You keep him in the American League. You just keep letting him be that DH. He's going to produce for almost any team that he works with, and as long as he just keeps on somewhat of the pace that he's been on for the last few years, he's he will be the next that doesn't mean there's not a lot of other players in baseball that won't reach 500. Like again, Mike Trout is basically as close to a lock as you can get again, knock on wood. But um, I, I think if you're talking about the next to reach it, it's going to be Nelson Cruz. What do you think, Mac? Who do you think is going to be the next to be get 500? So I'm actually going to disagree here. Um, Ooh, my okay. only reason. So here, here's my take is that, so, yes, uh, Cruz does have 443 home runs right now. Um, my concern here is that he is actually showing a little bit of age um, ever since he's been traded to the Rays. Uh, he's only hitting 210. His OPS is 698. Um, he's hit seven homers, but, you know, his numbers are starting to decline a little bit this year. And we've seen it the past two years, even in the 60-game season, his numbers took a little bit of a dip in the latter half of the year. And, you know, he's 40 or 41 now, um, you know, not getting any younger, which I get that he's been basically an ageless wonder. I just have a very hard time thinking that he's going to be, you know, considering how he's performing in Tampa Bay, I don't know how much he can go. And, you know, he need more to hit 500, but will he last long enough in the league to reach that number? You know, maybe – you know, if he stays in the AL, yes, sure, he has a chance. But right now, I think actually, I've I voted Trout. Um, I think Trout. You know, he's already at over 300 homers. He's at 310 to be exact, and he just turned 30. And yes, he's dealt with injuries, but I mean, you gotta, you know, say he plays. So he's at 310 right now. You know, if he plays another 10 seasons, say he has to average, you know, under 20 per year. So I think that he's definitely – I think that he's got a better chance of reaching 500. Um, I'm not saying Harper can't. I think Harper definitely will reach 500 also. But I think at this point, Trout probably has a better chance than Cruz, mainly because of because of his age. Okay. What do you think, Ben? Cruz initially just because, I don't know, 57 home runs is that much of a tall order to hit over the next, you know, couple years. Um, there's some other people too that are closer um, after Cruz. Cruz is the closest 
In actual fact, when I was doing a little research, Giancarlo Stanton has 337. Uh, Robinson Cano has 334. Justin Upton has 324. Joey Votto, 323. Evan Longoria has 314 to Mike Throat's 310. Okay. Uh, the thing about Trout is Trout's hurt again. Um, and it's looking like that his season is going to be shut down. So for all the greatness of Shohei Otani for the Angels, another lost season and, you know, the last couple of seasons, even though last year was shortened due to COVID, Otani didn't play that much, but Trout did. And then Rendon goes out this year. It's like that team needs to get all three of those guys in the lineup consistently for a while. You know, I think it might be different, even if they don't have great pitching. Um, so, yeah, I'm sticking with Cruz. I don't even know if he plays even two or three more seasons. You know, he could probably hit, I don't know, could he hit 15 in a season? I guess it depends on if he declines that much. Right. That's so, the way I see it. Yeah. Okay. So, Alex, let me ask you this. Because one of the greatest designated hitters I would feel is one of the greatest, obviously, is, is Edgar Martinez, who played until his, I want to say, his his mid-40s, right? Yeah. So, I think it can be done if he stays. You know, of course, we don't know if the universal DH is going to take into effect next season. So, if that's the case, let's say hypothetically, you know, what the collective bargaining agreement goes through, they agree, and there's going to be a universal DH come next season. Now he's got 29 other teams that could be vying for his services that will give him an opportunity to be in the lineup basically on a daily basis and to at least just be be a DH. And if that's the case, I think he can do it. I mean, you know, 57 home runs is not something that uh, might not be done and say, I give him maybe three, three more seasons. As long as he's able, able to be healthy, be in shape. I think he can do it. I think he can get to 500. I really do. Uh, just, uh, you know, the, the DH is, is one of those positions that, you know, you're not in the in the playing the field, but there's a longevity aspect to it, and you can remain, you know, a constant presence in that lineup just by being a DH. And I think he could do it just like Edgar Martinez did for so many years with the Mariners. That we might see him actually get closer. And then, of course, I mean, Mike Trout, Mike Trout just needs to be healthy. Honestly, um, that's just my opinion. He he, he could do it. I think he would probably be closer to 400 by now if he could be healthy. He was he had that 2019 where he was kind of out for a little bit, obviously, this season as well. So I'm going to vote. I voted Nelson Cruz as well. I think uh, he can do it. It's just a matter of, you know, just being consistent and being in the lineup. So, but it was just an interesting poll that I put out. I wanted to kind of get your, everybody's thoughts because I, this I like is that. actually, this is the the first show that I've I've done in, in a couple of weeks. I was uh, out doing uh, covering some minor league baseball uh, last week. So, but that's when Miguel Cabrera hit that 500 home run, and of course, it, a lot of talk on major league on MLB Network, on MLB Radio, of course, on all the social media platforms as well. Everybody kind of talking about who's going to hit 500, and of course, Nelson Cruz keeps coming up at the top. So, just something I want to get y'all's thoughts on real quick, but. We're kind of changed gears a little bit because there's some other, other interesting news that's been coming up this week, just most recently uh, today and yesterday that has to do with Mets news. Mac, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring that into the show. <laughs> Poor Mac. 
because oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so, I deal with this a lot. The they may need to come down here pretty soon. <laughs> I, I, I get I get that comment I feel like at least once a day or at least every time I mention to someone that I'm a Mets fan. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's something that it, it's the the way everything has kind of come about is very you know head scratching because you know we we heard about everything that happened this before the season started with you know the Jared Porter situation. We're not gonna just discuss that because we've already talked about it. But Interim GM Zach Scott, he was arrested just you know a couple of days ago. Uh, he is facing DUI charges. But the thing that is interesting about this is that he was coming from a fundraiser that was put on by Mets owner Steve Cohen. Now the Mets did re- did put him on a min- administrative leave uh, today. Uh, Matt, what are you kind of hearing about as far as what's going on with, with the Mets and kind of this? down this down course road that they're going on right now i mean this is inexcusable i mean you know i i i just you know with the scott situation it's i mean administrative leave was the least they could do um i i really wouldn't be surprised if he's not there but here's my Biggest issue with how the team has handled this is that when the Javi Baez thing, you know, with the the whole booing the fans thing happened on Sunday, he made those comments. There was a big, big reaction. And Sandy Alderson put out this huge statement like we will not tolerate this and all that. This is like a you know a random gesture that they've actually been doing for a few weeks. It just happened, uh, you know, on Sunday was the first time it really came to light with the media. But they barely released a statement about Zach Scott. It really makes me question a lot of things with this organization. And Steve Cohen, I hope he takes action because I think that, you know, Sandy Alderson during his time as, you know, in his role, he has hired two GMs. Well, uh, Zach Scott at least was his interim GM, but he hired Jared Porter and Zach Scott. You know, Jared Porter is a creep, it turns out. Zach Scott got a DUI. I think what this means is that Sandy has to go also. I think it's time Steve Cohen, you know, m- maybe it's wait until the offseason now, but he has to clean house now because now at this point, Sandy has also failed the team on so many fronts that I have seen no reason to keep this guy around. And, you know, we, we thought, you know, may- maybe once the Wilpons are gone, he'd be better, but really he's, he's failed them on the field and off the field. So, Really, I hope Steve Cohen takes action because I see no reason to keep Zach Scott around after this incident, and I definitely don't see a reason for Sandy Alderson to be with the team. Oh, yeah, and I he, forgot to mention I, one thing I forgot to mention. Sandy Alderson also hired Mickey Calloway. So, yeah, not good. Ah, uh, okay. Man. You know, it, it was definitely interesting that actually when Cohen brought Sandy Alderson back because – he's been with the Mets, you know, in, in prior seasons and was let go. And now he's back again. It, it just doesn't all, it doesn't all add up. And, you know, Ben or Alex, do you guys have any thoughts on this, this Mets situation? I always um, defer to Mac because he's <laughs> sorry. I was going to say, I always defer to Mac because he's the Mets expert. And I, I just don't follow the NL East, like some of the other divisions. 
and I know Max pretty informed and I follow his tweets and a lot of stuff about the Mets. So I feel pretty comfortable deferring to him. Um, but yeah, it's not a great look for a franchise. What I do remember, it seemed like, and I remember Mac telling me how bad the Wilpons were and how Cohen was supposed to bring all this optimism to the franchise and it was going to be different with the Mets. And, um, you know, it was like, it sort of felt like, you know, from the stuff that I'd read that they'd really turned over a new leaf with a new owner. Right. And things could only get better. <laughs> you know, it's like now he gets a DUI and you're like, uh Oh yeah. I mean, I followed the whole thing with the fan controversy about them booing and stuff. And then the whole, you know, all those little, I'm like, Oh boy. <laughs> so I don't, that sort of pales in comparison to a guy getting a DUI. Overall, this feels like, and I'm sorry to bring up what could honestly be considered more of a joke or a meme than, than anything. This feels like the rebirth of the lol Mets. Like this has been something that has been going on where the Mets have been kind of a joke organization for a, for a number of reasons throughout the last number of years. And this year really felt like it was like Ben said, really turned over the new leaf. Cohen came in and it made this, everything feel like there was hope. And it made their feet, yeah. everything, all the new players that were coming and the new culture that was going to be working with the team. Yeah. And we believed it too. I mean, you have players like DeGrom, who is, again, I think, I don't think this is a controversial opinion, who knows, but right now is the best pitcher in baseball when healthy. Yeah. And so you take a look at this and then you see all these other things that are going wrong where with all these different people within the organization and it's just like, okay, so the law went from the play to the inner, inner workings. Got it. Cool. Thank you, Mets. Appreciate it. But that's, and that just turns into an even bigger problem. And so the one other thing I'll say on this as well, the Javi Baez stuff just felt like a complete, I don't want to say dejection. It was more of a deflection. On anything because they know that they have every all these other much bigger problems going on here. So why not defer to oh some guy is pointing thumbs down at the fans? Yeah, let's that's that big problem right now. Yep, that's the problem. No, like they're doing that just to try and make that a bigger issue so that they don't show all these other problems that are going on that are much bigger in the grand scheme of everything else. So right now with the Mets, I'm sorry, but this is the 2021 law Mets. <laughs> so uh, uh, Hector Ray is in watching the show right now and he said Theo Epstein. Now, if the Mets were to, and Steve Cohen were to let go of Sandy Alderson, do you see Mac? Do you see Cohen actually trying to make a play for for Theo Epstein? I'm sure he can try, but uh, I think the issue is that Theo Epstein said that he's taking a leave from baseball for like non baseball related reasons. So I don't know if Theo Epstein would want to come back already. You know, he only took. I mean, he only stepped down in 2020, so I don't think he's ready. The name I heard thrown around is David Stearns from the Brewers, and he's done a great job in Milwaukee. I mean, you look at the talent they have there, uh, he definitely deserves a ton of credit. So I'd be very happy if David Stearns was brought in. I think just right now, I mean, Sandy has done a very good job at drafting, but he also has dealt with, first of all, he's made a lot of questionable decisions in, in you know trades and all that. Um 
you could look to this year's trade deadline for that. I mean, acquiring 41-year-old Rich Hill and thinking that's enough starting pitching, you know, not making another move after that. Um, I remember he made a number of moves in the Wilpon era, but that was the Wilpon era. Um, he, but, you know, now we've seen that he's also failed them from an ethical standpoint. So, you know, it's definitely clear he does have to go. It's just, you know, I, I feel Epstein would be a good pickup, but I think um, my, my other, I, th- I think David Stern right now might be a better option. Just considering that Epstein, you know, he, he wants to take time off and, you know, the Cubs did sort of start to falter in the second half of his tenure there. So I think I'd be happy with Stearns. And then there are a couple other guys in, um, I think some people said uh, Billy Owens. Um, you know, I, th- I think though Stern should be the top priority. Um, it's just a matter of will Milwaukee let that happen because I think he's entering the final year of his contract. Right. That's the name I've been hearing as well. It's just interesting, you know, because Theo has had such great success, obviously, in Boston and in Chicago. But I really think he's holding out for a much higher role within Major League Baseball. And I don't think he'll want to come back into that general manager type position or that president of, of baseball operations. But it, it's definitely, you know, a lot of things that, you know, when, especially when Steve Cohen bought the team, there was a lot of, uh, excitement that the Mets would go into that a uh, different direction, and it looks like they were headed into that direction for for much of the season. You know, even spending spending some time. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong that they were in first place. Um, spent three. They spent ninety days in first place. Okay, so I mean that's, I mean three months. Of the, that's half the season right there. That's in first place in a National League East where it's a division that's going to be anyone's race right now. And we'll kind of touch on the divisions here in just a little bit. But it it's definitely interesting how all this kind of just started to kind of come back towards the end of the season as we get closer into October. But it's I heard something, I don't know if if you heard it or not, but apparently this situation with Scott happened hours, hours, and then the Mets found out. Maybe like a full twenty four hours later or something. I don't. I don't know kind of what the timeline was in that case. Yeah. But I know uh, there was there was a uh, a gap between. He, when... he uh, yeah, he got arrested at about four. I think it said four seventeen a.m., which is I don't know the the event at Cohen's place ended. I'm pretty sure I saw it ended at about eight thirty. Um, so there was time wow. uh, in between whenever you know, whenever the event ended, when Scott left, when he got arrested. But yeah, I apparently the Mets didn't know until yesterday afternoon. So, which is beyond me how that's possible. But yeah, um, it's a bad look regardless. But yeah, it did take them a while to find out for some reason. Wow. That's just, uh, that's just crazy. But hopefully, you know, Steve Cohen can get these, get the Mets front office back on track. He talked about uh, zero uh, a zero tolerance, and be- before the season uh, started, so it's hopefully he can live up to that what he uh, what he had preached about. So we'll kind of keep an eye on that. But now I kind of want to change gears a little bit because there's a team in the American League West that's starting to make a name for themselves that has had a playoff drought that has lasted longer than 
it's been a long time 20 years sorry i said it sorry alex i said it look you can't tell me anything that i haven't already (laughs) muttered to myself in my sleep for years anyway so it's fine oh but the last (laughs) you know the last time the mariners were in the in the postseason was back in 2001 that looked like a team that was destined for their first world series appearance unfortunately did not happen because the yankees took that and went to the World Series that season facing the Arizona Diamondbacks, which they lost to that epic Game 7 when Luis Gar- uh, Gonzalez excuse me, hit that uh, walk-off. But the Mariners are back on the rise again. And Ben, you kind of follow the Mariners as well, given that you're, you're both on that uh, part of the world there in that region. So we'll kind of get your guys' opinion on it. But uh, the Mariners are right now are making a, a push for the postseason. Right now, let's get uh, the graphic up here and see if I can pull it up, make sure it's the right one here. So right now, uh, Seattle is right now three and a half games out of the second wild card spot. Right now, the Yankees hold it, and Boston is in there as well. But they're three and a half games out of the wild card spot. And here in the division right now, which is surprising to me, which is they are only six and a half games back. But they're they've won their last six out of four. Yeah, they're and, six and four. Yeah, and their last ten games, which is truly amazing, because they go and they take two out of three against the Astros, who are currently wow. sitting in first right first place right now at seventy eight and fifty five. Seattle seventy two and sixty two, which is, in my opinion, I did not expect to see this team be at this point already. I knew that they were yeah. a team that was going to rebuild, or that is currently rebuilding, I should say. And they would be in this situation maybe two seasons from now. It's kind of my prediction. So, Alex, I'll get your take. And then, Ben, how is this team starting to find its mojo? It's a young team. It's built based off of uh, the farm system through the draft. But what's the kind of the buzz there in Seattle that uh, has got the fans raving about the Mariners? So with Seattle, like you said, it was a rebuild that was truly built from making good trades to get a good farm system. Thank you, Mets, again for Kelnick. But um, (laughs) it was really something that took a long while, and it's something that – Seattle was competitive in some of these years. Again, they were competitive in 2018. They were competitive in some of these years, but just couldn't quite get it done. And then finally, you know, the the blow up happened and a lot of people were very, you know, skeptical. You have a new manager as a manager in Jerry DePoto that has shown that he can do decent stuff with the Angels. And then he kindly left to come join us. And then you have Service, who Scott Service, the manager, who had never ma- managed at the big league level before. So there was a lot of things to be scared about for Seattle. But this is one of those times where, not to sound like an NBA fan, I know there's one team that says this, a trust the process type moment, because that's what's been going on. Seattle has been trusting that process of drafting good players, finding good players, and then being able just to bring them up. You have decent young so you have decent young players that are really working well for this team that really didn't expect to be doing too well. I mean, Dylan Moore is a utility guy that has been doing a lot of work for this team, and he's not a guy that was expected to do much, and yet he's now a guy that you can expect to see anywhere around the field except for maybe catcher. There's a lot of guys here that it's fun to see what they do, and 
then on top of it, you finally get into the 2020 season, and that's when the the gear started to turn. You start to see some of these players that that Mariner fans had heard about for years finally started to come up. Guys like Kyle Lewis, guys yep. as well. Uh, Logan Gilbert finally came up this season. Uh, Shed Long was a guy that didn't get a whole lot of playing time until recently. And as we know, Kyle Lewis unanimously won the AL Rookie of the Year. Take that, Luis Robert. But you you see what's able to happen with this team, and then you start to put the pieces together. You see one person, is like one good player turns into another good player. Another good player turns into more good players. And then you just keep on adding until sooner or later, you just find yourself with a good team. But the big thing, and this is where it kind of gets fun when you talk about the rebuild is that you look at other teams. Um, I will actually, you know, I'll use your Astros for for example on this one where there were a couple seasons that just weren't good. The 50, 111 season. And at that time you like you had the young guys, but they weren't developing. It was all about getting the guys, the playing time. And that's what 2019 and 2020 were all about. They weren't about winning games. They were about letting the young guys kind of work those kinks out, become major league baseball players. And now in 2021, we're starting to see some of the fruits of that labor as well as uh, DePoto and service working together to actually, you know, get some other players to work well in that clubhouse as well as keeping Kyle Seager, which if any Mariner fan says they need to get rid of Kyle Seager, they are just wrong. Sorry. You please come at me, but (laughs) no, (laughs) but no, like you see what's been going on. Here with this team and it's fun to look about that this team is ahead of schedule that's something that Mariner fans haven't heard since 2004 is that <laughs> this team is ahead of schedule and the fact like again this is really only what year four of year three year four of the actual true rebuild and these guys are the guys that they have been building this all around are becoming those star level talents and then on top of it thank you again to rip but Abraham Toro has been absolutely tearing the cover off the ball and has been an on-base machine. And he's really been kind of that one piece that has really helped kind of tie everything together. The team is very much a momentum-based team, which we've seen on a number of cases where, again, right after the Graveman-Toro uh, trade, the momentum went down for a while. But when this team is hot, it's, it's hard to stop them. So I don't think they're going to win this year. I want them to badly, but no, the drought will go to 21, but the drought (laughs) will go to 21 years. But I love seeing that these young guys are finally like working well together. You have Ty France who is dominating at first base, not just offensively, but he still has a 1000 fielding percentage at first base. He's in consideration for a gold glove for a guy that was said to have the footwork of an elephant. That's (laughs) pretty good. That's pretty good. You have all these guys around the field, especially J.P. Crawford, that's a gold glove uh, defender as well. I love seeing where the rebuild has taken this team because it's all just been a collection of guys that have been able to do their job. And I'm glad you brought up the Abraham Toro uh, trade because actually I was going to I was going to be my my next question was how that trade has kind of been uh, received since because there was a lot of talk that. Especially with Jerry Depoto, that he traded away Keno Grayman because he was argue, arguably with the best closer in the game. If I mean, he just but it's also too one of the best arms in the Seattle Mariners bullpen as well. 
No, he was so, the best. That, I'll stop. He was the best. I mean, that's not <laughs> that. I'll 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 say one quick thing on this. It is still a very divided issue within Mariner fans. It's something that a lot of people still, even with the uh, true emergence of uh, Mets legend Paul Seawald, but um, it's something that you know people's. I have only one problem with the trade. I have one problem, and that was the timing of it. You look at what had happened the night before the trade. It was a huge cover behind. I think Seattle was down like what eight to one at one point, and something like that. And Seattle comes back at a grand slam by the aforementioned Dylan Moore. Like the team was so riding high, fans and players were doing dances, like almost like with each other at this point. It was beautiful to watch. And then the news the next morning of oh, Graven just went to the big rival of Seattle slash, well, I don't want to say rival because obviously other things there, but division rival <laughs> of right. the Astro, uh, division rival and you're got a prospect for a team that was told, well, for a fan base that was told, hey, we're buyers this time. We ain't selling this time. We're buying. This looked like a seller move and it killed the morale of the fans and of the team. And which I think the Seattle Mariners then went on a bit of a losing streak after that, even with Toro looking really good, including hitting a home run against the Astros that very same uh, that game he got traded. But you know, at the time, the timing of the trade bad. Overall, I think it's going to work out really well for Seattle. Ben, what do you think about the the, the Mariners and the track that they're on right now? I've been following it for a while and looking back at some stuff I had archived from the Seattle Times. And one of the interesting pieces was from early July uh, in the Seattle Times where they talked about the Mariners trading uh, Mitch Haniger at the deadline. This is like the first week of July, right? So I thought it was really interesting. And it was, the other one was about the impact the trade deadline can have on the Mariners. And look what's happened. Um, and Alex probably remembers this too. Who is the guy that, worked for the Mariners that got fired earlier in the season that made a bunch of comments. Um, oh, oh, and then didn't, Oh yeah. Ke uh, Mathers, Kevin Mathers. Right. And then yes. DePoto replaced him, right? Yeah. He was fired. Uh, I believe right. two days afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So all that, so there's that controversy earlier in the season, the Mariners are one of the worst hitting t teams in baseball. Right. And, and now look right. And if they traded a guy like Mitch Haniger as well, um, I caught the Royal series last weekend, unfortunately watching the Mariners get crushed basically by Salvador Perez himself hitting grand slams. But yeah, there's something in that Mariners team. When you watch them, you know, there's some kind of, I don't know if it's the intangibles. I don't know if it's a spark. I don't know if it's the players. I don't know if it's Scott services style as a manager, but they, they just kind of have that fight on the field all the time. Like, they don't give up, right? And they just seem to be kind of clicking. So we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously, they're in tough in the wild card. Three games is not a lot. But, um, you know, they're going to have to fight Oakland, too. And, you know, Boston. And, you know, it's going to be tough. I was surprised to find out they took two, for, two out of three from Houston and shut them out twice. I mean, those are kind of statement games, right? Like, when you play against the Astros and you beat them two out of three and you shut them out twice. I was like, wow, but let's see how they do. Like they kind of, you know, they didn't always play great against Kansas city last weekend and then they got Arizona 
coming in and you think that's a team that they should beat. One thing I will yeah. say, oh, sorry, I'll say one thing on that. Ben, I want to say thank you for bringing up one of the things I wish I would have said, um, and that is that this team fights. This is a young team. And that's yeah, they're one a feisty the team. Yeah. I like that. This, I like watching that. Exactly. And that's what that's what a rebuild team does. That's what a young team does. They finally are getting that chance, and they know the history. Mariner fans have told them the history of this team, and they know that this is a streak. This is, I don't want to say Undertaker WrestleMania streak level, but this is something that <laughs> needs close. to be, yeah, it's something that needs to be addressed. It's the longest uh, postseason drought in North American sports. So, I was going to say it must be, right? If you look at the big four sports leagues, mm-hmm. NFL, NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball, it's got to be up there. It is the number one in all North American oh, sports. God. from the, And that's why it is, <laughs> that's why we just refer to it now basically as the streak. And of course. also as in the depression, but at this point, <laughs> it's really sad. It's really fun to see this team because this is youth. This is something that Mariner fans, I'm going to be honest, have not seen since 1995 where there's young wow. fight. Even in 2001, there wasn't young fight. There was guys that did their job and they didn't do it in even the most flashiest of ways. They did it in the ways that let them win ball games. And 95 was really when it was still that chip on their shoulder underdog mentality. And that's what the Mariners have right now. And I got to tell you those statement wins. I don't want to bring up salt in the wound there for your rib, but that Toro (laughs) grand slam was probably one of the most poetic things I've ever seen. And one of the biggest pieces of evidence I have that baseball may in fact be scripted. Um. Well, I mean, if you, but if, but it's like in any sport, right? As, especially in baseball, you know, when you get to this time of the year and it's the stretch drive and you are in that division with a team that's, you know, in the last five years or so many years, it's been one of the best teams in baseball and you take two out of three from them, you know, that's, that's kind of a statement to me, you know, and I, I don't, I have to look at the Mariner schedule going forward because sometimes, you know, teams, do that and then they have expectations on them and they get into their schedule like when they were getting beat by the Royals last weekend, right? And they kind of they kind of fall off the pace, but I mean they're gonna have to keep the pedal on the gas to keep going. There's one big series that's coming up here for Seattle and I think this is gonna be one of the make or breaks. It's a home series um from the I have the schedule right here 13th, 14th and 15th yeah. against Boston. And yeah. that is going to be Ooh. the make or break, I think. Because yes, they still have a good one. They have another series. They have two more series against the Diamondbacks. They have one more series against Houston, and then a couple more series against Oakland. Which the Oakland series Ooh. will also be a huge. I'm not saying that won't be. But oh, the Oakland one will. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. But that Boston series, I think that's one that is really going to be the all right. You you've gotten this far. Yeah. Prove that you're not going yeah. to miss the putt by an inch. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. It's it's definitely interesting to, to you know the, the how the Mariners have kind of just like you mentioned you know they the, they're you know ahead of schedule, and I, I've definitely noticed that as well. I will be honest. You got a good one in Abraham Toro. He was the savior in Justin Verlander's no hitter two years ago in Toronto when he hit the two run home run. So he has a knack for coming through in the big clutch moments like he did just the other night when he hit that grand slam. So I definitely think that 
as he continues to kind of acclimate himself to the organization, to the city and, and everything that Mariners fans will come to love Abraham Toro. We miss him. Uh, we call it, we, we dubbed it, you know, where the F is Toro from when he hit the, the, the home run for Justin Verlander. Now it's where the F is Toro because he's not here with the organization now. So um, I will say, yeah, Abraham Toro is, is a guy that, you will come to love. He is a great utility guy. He can play just about any position that you put him in. Uh, he can probably catch two pitch if you asked him to. But <laughs> what I, I I I was gonna say one thing is that uh well first of all I so the Mariners are a team that I've kind of had a soft spot for for a while just because um, for me being born in two thousand I have not been conscious for a Mariners postseason appearance. Um, and you know, sort of similar, you know, they're kind of like the Mets in my opinion, you know, the way that they, you know, they have a history of futility, really like a lot of, you know, they have, they've had a ton of talent. Um, you know, for me being uh half Japanese, I was a huge Ichido fan growing up. My grandmother's a huge Ichido fan. Um, you know, basically my entire family was, um, you know, my, my older siblings, they were alive for Griffey's prime. So they loved Ken Griffey jr. Um, I saw it. Yeah, so I mean, the Mariners are a team that I've always like hoped they would succeed. Um, but you know, at the time of the the Graveman trade, you know, the Graveman Toro trade, I think I was talking to Alex about this. I really did not like that trade at all. I thought it was it was really dumb. I thought Toro was not much of a return. But it, I mean, I've been pleasantly surprised, and um, I think that this team is actually going to be. You know, maybe this year isn't the year, but they've really exceeded my expectations. I thought maybe they'd be a third or fourth place team, which, yeah, they're in third right now, but they're 10 games over 500, which I thought they were definitely going to be under 500 this year. Uh, so it's it's been great. And also, I want to point out their probably their strength has been the bullpen this year. Um, right. You know, I know they just picked up Sean Doolittle, but uh, Paul Seawald, who was just just not good when he was with the Mets has turned into one of the best relievers in baseball this year uh, with a whopping 14.9 strikeouts per nine. I have no clue where this was when he was in Queens. Um, I, I see this somewhat regularly, but I have no clue where this amazing version of Paul Seawall came from because he was horrendous the past few years in flushing. Uh, Drew Steckenrider has also come on very strong this year. Um, JT Chargois, ever since he got there from the, Castillo Trade, Eric Swanson, Casey Sadler. They've just had so many great relievers this year. And even in the start, starting at uh, Chris Flexen, who also struggled mightily when he was with the Mets, but he righted himself after a year in Korea. He's done very well. Uh, Yusei Kikuchi, I know, has struggled in the second half, but, you know, it's been fun to see him improve a lot. And uh, I'm really excited for Logan Gilbert. I know his, his surface numbers may not be great, but he has a lot of strikeouts. And his uh, his underlying metrics show that he actually is pitching better than the the raw numbers will show. And I, you know, if he can keep the ball in the yard, I think Gilbert's got the makings of a, a great young pitcher. So you know, I I hope the Mariners succeed. Um, I think they're they're definitely coming alive. I mean, their offense has shown improvement. I think Kellenic is starting to look a little bit more like a major league hitter. You know, obviously you guys mentioned Ty France; he's been great. Uh, Seager's power is back. Hanager's hitting for power. I think. Um, their offense has work to do, but it's definitely been encouraging, and I I fully expect to see this team in the playoffs within the next uh, two or three seasons. 
while this team may have one of the worst run differentials for a potential playoff team in negative 56, they do have the best fun differential at pl- positive 90. So we'll just take that. <laughs> that's into that's a fact. They, they, <laughs> they've been great, great at those comeback victories. Yeah. Thank you so, so much so, for that, that uh, <laughs> Scott service. So just r- r- real quick to kind of, you mentioned Ichiro. Uh, ben, you might know this, but I don't know if Alex or Mac, if you know this or not, but uh, in 2003, I had the opportunity to go and oh, see, <laughs> Alex is repping his Ichiro jersey. But I had a chance to see the Mariners play the Blue Jays. There at, was a Safeco field at the time. Yep. And uh, if you looked out in the outfield where Ichiro played, the grass was always a different color than the rest of it because uh, I actually have family that lived there. So my uncle was telling me that the Mariners had to go in and replace parts of the outfield grass where each row played because he could never stay still. He was constantly moving around and he actually wore the grass out in right field. So there was patches of different, you know, colored grass everywhere where they interesting where they, I didn't know that. Yeah. So you, I saw him in there. I saw him in, in 2003. I know I did. My parents yeah. are are obviously Canadians, but they were living in Seattle at the time, um, and so I did see him at uh, Safeco. But that's yes. a really interesting little stat. Yeah, it, it was interesting. One, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, it was just a little interesting tidbit that I learned. That's neat. I, I didn't know that. Uh, so, but anyways, uh, we'll kind of keep an eye on the Mariners as they continue to you know move up to that. I want to say it's going to come. It's going to happen. A postseason berth, hopefully, to be this season. But like you said, it'll probably be in the next, uh, you know, year or two. But um, let's kind of move on because now we got where the calendar has switched over. It is now September, which means the race for October is in full swing. We've got teams that are pretty much guaranteed postseason berth just based off records, but no divisions uh, titles have been won or guaranteed yet, but. As we kind of turn the calendar over into September, let's kind of just real quick just talk about who's going to be in, who's going to be out, maybe who's going to be on the bubble so far. So just the other day, this is uh, courtesy of, I think, Fox News or Fox MLB. So if the postseason started today, which actually this was yesterday on, uh, on Wednesday, because as you can see, the Dodgers are, if you look at the, the rank, the standings today, which I'll, I'll put that up real, real quick. So if you look at the standings right now, the Dodgers are now in first place at 85 and 49. So this does not really, it's not accurate. So, but anyways, we'll use it as kind of something to go off of because now the San Francisco Giants hold the number one wild card spot in the National League. And then, of course, the the Reds and the Padres are going to be the two that will kind of duke it out for that spot. And the Dodgers will, um, are leading the division right now. So, but in the American League, the, the Astros and, and White Sox are looking are two teams that are looking to face off in the ALDS. Tampa Bay is leading the AL East right now. Obviously, the the Yankees have kind of had a resurgence. Boston is still in there. So the American League is kind of if the postseason started today, that division is kind of set out. Now, the National League obviously is different because you've got the Braves that have kind of turned it on there. The Brewers have been hot. Like I mentioned, the Dodgers are currently in, in first place right now. So let's talk about this. 
Who do you think is going out of these teams? I'll put the graphic back up. Who do these teams do you think has a guaranteed shot to make the postseason? I think uh, the clear cut ones are definitely the the Rays, the White Sox, the Dodgers, and the Giants. Oh, and the Brewers, obviously. Those, those teams, I think for sure, have it locked down. Uh, the White Sox, very AL Central is just not good this year. The White Sox, it feels like, haven't even played their best baseball yet. They have, I'm pretty sure, what it was like a 10 game lead in that division. I mean, yeah, 10 games. Uh, and then obviously the Brewers have a 10 game lead in their division. So I think they got a lot down. The Dodgers and the Giants, I mean, they're just, they're, they're clearly the class of the NL, at least. And I think the class of yeah. the entire league. So I think those teams definitely have it uh, locked down. And then, uh, because obviously whoever wins the division will, you know, get there, get the one seed. And then I think whoever comes in second is guaranteed a wild card spot. And I think the Rays, you know, some people uh, were kind of sleeping on them, I think, coming into the year. But they will, no matter what strange moves they make, they somehow work out. So the Rays, I mean, they're six and a half up even after losing tonight. So I think the, the Rays got this locked down uh, in, in that regard, too. What do you guys, Alex or Ben, do you agree? Do you think, what, what about the, the athletics? We'll, we'll talk about them because right now they are sitting at a game and a half out of that second wildcard spot behind Boston. That's a team right now that's currently sitting in second place in the AL West behind the, behind the Astros at four and a half games. They kind of came on strong earlier this season. They, they kind of led, I want to say a quarter of this season, but now have kind of fallen off a little bit. How do you think the athletics will kind of fare as we hit the home stretch? Good question. I mean, that's a really interesting race. Uh, when you put up that graphic, if you could put it up again, um, the act, the athletics kind of get talked forgotten about me because we're talking about the Mariners. We're talking about Boston, the Yankees, but um, the athletics have obviously haven't played well in their last 10 going four and six. Um, yeah, it's going to be tough for them, you know, but it's, I mean, the way these teams are all going to like mix together in this month and they all play each other is almost like the playoffs are already, right. uh, you know, with Seattle's got two series against Boston. I haven't looked at Oakland's schedule. Um, I really want to see Houston face the White Sox. <laughs> I think that's going to be <laughs> a series, two, man. 2000, two, 2005 World Series matchup. Uh, this time yeah. they're both in the AL. <laughs> I'd forgotten about the 2005, but I, 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 I watched the Blue Jays White Sox series last week and you know I look up and down that White Sox lineup and I look at their starting pitching and then they got Liam Hendricks and then they added Craig Campbell but like man that White Sox team is good I know the AL Central is not great but that's going to be an interesting uh, interesting um, series Uh, obviously the NL West like you know I think at the beginning of the season people obviously underestimated the San Francisco Giants Yes, a lot. Uh, so, especially the Padres, they thought they were going to really walk away with that division. Nope. The Dodgers, are, I think, are right where they should be, or pretty close. Um, Milwaukee's kind of leading the Central. I, I, I don't think that's really a surprise, considering what's happened with the Cubs this season. Uh, Pittsburgh's not very good. Um, I thought I, I thought the Cardinals are going to be better, honestly. So did I. I they, they were a heavy favorite in that division. Uh, Especially they, after taking uh, Nolan Arenado. 
Yeah, especially after getting Arenado. But I think they kind of fell apart. Well, it's partially injuries, but partially also they've just underperformed while the Brewers have really, really been just awesome this year. Yeah, the Brewers are awesome. That I'd be interested to see. I remember when LA and the Brewers played last year in the playoffs. I'd love to see that again just because I, you know, how the Brewers kind of got mashed. But yeah, I, you know, and it, I think one other thing I was going to say is Atlanta's kind of turned it around right after the way they played in the 60 game yeah. season last year and in the postseason. And now I think Atlanta's where people expect them to be. Overall, yeah, I, oh, sorry, go for it. No, go ahead. Go ahead, X. Um, so overall, what I kind of think is that I think Atlanta, I wish they would be a little better just, but the problem is just again, that they really were snake bitten this season with all the injuries they've had, especially to one Ronald Acuna Jr. But I think overall, when you take a look at this season this year, there's there are some teams that are definitely just like the easy mate, like the easy throw. They're going to make it into, into the playoffs. I mean, White Sox are the easy one. The Rays, easy team. The Brewers, I really like the Brewers this year just because I love it when a team has a good pitching staff. And when you have a three pitch pitching staff of Woodruff, Peralta, Burns, and then on top you still have Hader and Williams in your bullpen. I mean. That's just good. That's hard to score any runs off of. Then you take a look at the rest of everything going on in the American League. The AL West, I think, is going to be a very interesting race to see come on for the rest of this month because yeah. there is it is very much the Astros division to lose. Right. Because right now they have a good lead right now, but I have learned after year after year after year, never count out the athletics. I yep. will always want to count out the athletics and then realize, oh, wait a minute, Alex, why are you stupid? And it's just, <laughs> they always find a way to make it happen. That's the thing. What They always find a way to make it work. And Seattle right now, we just talked, we just did a whole segment on them talking about how they are one of the, they're the team with that, with the underdog mentality, the chip on their shoulder that I can't count them out yet. I don't think they're going to make it, but I'm not counting them out either. The Central's easy, it's White Sox, and the East is easy, at least for the Rays, but that wild card spot, the fact that there are two of them, means that there's a lot more possibilities with it right now. You have a you have the Red Sox going for it, you have the Yankees going for it, but there are really a, if you if I kind of you want to put up the wild card graphic again, that would be really uh, there's a lot of teams that are competing for this American League wild card, and I think overall, like it's funny to see that you know there's bought uh, New York, Boston, Oakland, Seattle, and then Toronto with a 117 run differential, and yet they're below Seattle. But I look at this, and it's really still everyone's matchup up until Cleveland. And there's a lot of ways that they could really still go. And that's why the last month of the season is so fun to watch because every game, like a football season, every game means something new Um, for this overall. I still think though, that for the wild card spot, there's going to be one team from the American league West and one team from the American league East that takes the American league wild cards. That's, that's a good prediction. I think Uh, one team we haven't talked about yet is the Cincinnati Reds. Now, they are a team that has just all of a sudden came in and took that second wild card spot from the Padres that now lead 
the second wild card spot at a half a game over the Padres. Now, is this a team that could possibly hold on to this and just completely just take you know the National League wild card by storm because they came on late this season and now all of a sudden they're they're in the talk of the postseason, which they haven't really quite been, at least that I've heard this season at all. Yeah, well, I think so. Alex has definitely heard me talk about this on uh, Chiefsy's chatter, but um, the I'm very high on the Reds for some reason. Um, well, I think it's that the the Reds their their offense mainly has been just electric in the second half. Um, it already was good with Castellanos and Winker. I mean, heck, they both started in the All Star game. They were both very good, but Joey Votto has had a monstrous second half. Um, it's been it, very exciting to watch. I got to see them play in Philadelphia and Votto did go deep in the game. I was there and he, you know, he looks like his vintage self all of a sudden at age 37. Uh, I recently wrote an article saying why I think he should be a hall of famer. I mean, the, the reds, I think it's really going to come down to if they do make the playoffs, I think facing the wild card game, which with all due respect to the giants, I think the Dodgers are clearly the superior team there. So I think if the reds face the Dodgers, the Dodgers will probably take them easily. If the Reds face the Giants, I think they actually could beat the Giants. So I think this is a team that if they get into the playoffs, they could do some damage. Um, It's going to come down to their pitching, really. Um, I think their pitching has improved lately with uh, Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray have both uh, been better lately. And Tyler Molle has been pretty good. And uh, Vladimir Gutierrez has improved. But uh, that bullpen, especially once TJ Antone – was announced that he uh, had Tommy needs Tommy John surgery. That bullpen is just a complete mess, uh, if I'm being honest. So, if they can figure something out there, I know they picked up Michael Givens recently, and he's been solid. If they can figure that out, then yes, I think they could make the playoffs. Hold on, maybe make it into the NLDS. I really don't see them getting much further than the NLDS, but I definitely think this is a, a team that could do some damage in the playoffs. Interesting. Yeah, there's some good there's some good matchups potentially. This is where baseball gets good, right? Absolutely. This is this is the home stretch. This is the September baseball that we all grow to love because anything and everything will happen in the next coming weeks because we are oh gosh, we're like what 30 games away from the yep. end of the season. So um it's coming down to the wire. We've, we've got teams that will start to will start to clinch their divisions here pretty soon. So it's definitely something we'll keep an eye on as we get closer to October, because it's definitely going to be uh, an October that's going to be very exciting, especially that we've given, we've had a full season yeah. that, we, that we missed uh, last season. So, but that's pretty much all I got for uh, on this episode, guys. Uh, you know, we'll kind of keep you know, an eye on the, the postseason as it gets closer, kind of come back. You know, right maybe before the season ends, and kind of once the the postseason brackets have been announced, and we'll kind of make our postseason predictions and who's going to go and take it all and win the World Series. So, but uh, that's pretty much all I got on this episode, guys. I appreciate you guys coming on and, and talking. You know, Mets, unfortunately, the Mariners that are our team that are on the rise, and it's going to be exciting to see what they can do here in the future. So, guys, I truly appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure to get to finally get to be on the show. I've been hearing a lot about it. I'm really glad I finally got to come here and talk 
uh, about to get to just talk sports here with you, Rip. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming out, Mac and Ben. As always, it's great having you guys come on. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Thank thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. So that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review. You can catch the podcast on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Google, or Spotify. The show is part of the Podcast City Network, so you can go at uh, podcastcity.net and check out all the amazing podcasts on there. And if you ever have a question, you want to, we want to do a mailbag segment. You want to be on a podcast, send in your questions. Call in, leave a voicemail. That number is 210-263-3253, and we will get your questions answered on the air. So that's going to do it for this episode, guys. Take care.